Hello everyone! Before we get today's episode going, I have some fun news to share with you guys. We have... Are you ready for this? Brand new merch! If you haven't had an opportunity to check out the merch shop at pmap.creator-spring.com, you would see that there is a wide range of amazing stuff done by some outstanding artists, such as the retro design done by Roya Shahidi, the wonderful human designs done by Elgis Grandpa and My Emerald Tears, and of course, the wonderful Mr. Moneybags design done by the wonderful Tipsy J Hearts. Well now, you can have a whole new meaning to streetwear with this wonderful new spray-painted Mr. Moneybags design done by Drags. Inspired by the shirt that he draws for his persona, I saw that shirt and I instantly thought I need to have a Moneybags version of it. So I made sure to commission Drags to make this a reality and he knocked it out of the park. Available in t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, even pennants, which is a new one for me. That's, that's, that's interesting. You can find many different ways to rep this incredible design today. We even have a fun little snapback version of it that you should be repping on top of your head today. Seriously, Drags knocked it out of the park with this design, and I think that it would be a wonderful addition to your clothing collection today. So please go to pmap.creator-spring.com so you can order your new merch today. Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wanting the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and today's episode, well, I feel like it's one that we could all easily groove through, especially with the amazing guests that I have for you today. Today's guest is Rocco Farin, the grooviest armadillo VTuber on the internet, as well as the developer of the sensational tabletop RPG, Urchin's Fall. Rocco is someone that I consider a near and dear friend for a while, and knowing the stuff that they have had a hand in, as well as the recent release of Urchin's Fall, I knew I needed to have them on the podcast to have just a, a fun time, because I knew it was going to be a fun time no matter what. If you enjoy Rocco, make sure you support them with the links down in the description below, especially, and I cannot emphasize this enough, downloading Urchin's Fall and playing it today. If you enjoy the podcast... Make sure you like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Leave five stars wherever you can. I see that stuff and I absolutely love it. If you want to go a little bit further with that support, maybe you should consider going to the merch shop at pmap.creator-spring.com. We have some outstanding designs done by some sensational artists that I know you should be repping today. And look, if all you want is just a nice, cool place where you can meet other artists, showcase your work, and just have a good, fun time, maybe you should consider joining our Discord server, The Artist Sanctuary. We've already developed a fun little community there, and we think you'd be a wonderful addition today with that link down in the description below. But now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. I have the little green version of you on the couch. 
I mean, honestly, like this is it, it's up to you. It's your call. Like having me just in the background, I think would just be hilarious. Lighting up whenever you speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're such a good ventriloquist that he's like even up in my house. <laughs> my oh, voice yeah, really travels. Voice. <laughs> yeah, this is actually not done via internet. This interview is being done by a telepathic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I always forget. I, 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 at some point, I need to do like just a like VTuber interview or whatnot, but like just have my VTuber model instead of my webcam on. <laughs> That'd be fun. That would be fun. Have lots of expressions and shit. Like, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I always forget how awesome your model is sometimes, like with the different expressions you have. I like don't use all the expressions nearly enough. I mean, fair. I mean, you know, sometimes you're you're in that mindset, and it's like, especially whenever you're like deep within streaming or whatnot, and you're not really thinking about all the different expressions. You're just going at your own pace or whatnot. Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of focused on being funny. There you or go. Or something. Like if you were really trying for a bit, then yeah, that's when the uh, that that's when the the expressions would be used used at best. So. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Okay, Rocco, before we get the show on the road, I must ask you the icebreaker question of the podcast, if I may. Let's say you get to go to a desert island on your own, of course. It's just you, along with your thoughts. You get to kick back, relax, breathe. You get to truly enjoy yourself for a little bit. With accommodations. You're not stranded on an island. Just... Okay, so, so food and drink and shelter is provided. Exactly, exactly. To help with whatever vibe you're trying to go with on this island, you can bring one piece of media or one piece of art with you to help with whatever kind of aesthetic mindset you want on this, you know, personal paradise yeah. for a little bit. If given this opportunity, what would that one piece be? Uh, the main question is would I have an internet connection? Like I said, you have accommodations. Oh, snap. Okay. <laughs> well, what is this? Like a five-star resort? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I'd have to go with Final Fantasy fourteen. I mean, it's like the biggest game that I've played. I'm still going through it. It's pretty regularly updated, and it's a thing that I can do with my friends even if I'm, I don't know, stuck on a deserted island for some reason. You know, I'm not going to lie. I asked this question, you know, a good couple, yeah, I won't say at least like 50, 60 times or this, at this point, something like that. Your answer is probably the one I could have guessed without even asking the question. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that game. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I know whenever I'm hopping like the, the VC with you guys, whenever you're playing it, like I can tell just by how invested you guys are, whether you're streaming or not, just like playing it. Like, yeah, I, I get why oh, yeah. that's up there for you. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the it's the first video game to ever make me cry. Like, really, in in my twenty four years of life. Oh yeah. Okay. It wasn't even anything happening in the game. I just listened to Dragon Song on good headphones, and it just started. Oh, you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I think there's only two games that I don't think have gotten me to cry, but have gotten me close to crying, and that is Journey and Rhyme. If you've ever played either of those two games. I've not played either. Journey's the one in. Uh, like the desert with like no direct like communication pretty much it's kind of a figure it out yourself kind of exploratory game exactly right? exactly just absolutely beautiful and gorgeous and if you haven't played i would recommend it and then right and then rhyme rhyme was this like little independent game to where like you're a kid also stranded on an island oddly enough and like the way Holy that they crap. and like the way that they ended it like 
I like I I didn't know what I was getting myself into because it was like one of the free games on PlayStation when I got it or whatnot. So it's like like I was playing it and then like the way that they ended it, I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. No, no, don't end it like that. Like, come on. Oh my god, that's how I felt about do you remember the drawn to life games for the Nintendo DS? Yes. Yes I do. Drawn to Life 2 had the most whiplash ending I've ever experienced in media. <laughs> it was, like, the most jarring thing I've ever seen. It, like, you beat the final boss, and then it cuts away to, like, uh, no none of this was real. Uh, cut to the real world, and it's, like, two siblings, and they were, like, in a car crash. And it's, like, an older oh, sibling I telling their younger sibling a story as, like, they're about to die. And I'm, like... <laughs> What? Jeez. Okay. Okay. Fair. I'll g give you one up. Do you mind spoilers? For, sorry. Do you mind spoilers for Rhyme? <laughs> um. When did it come out? Like two, like early 2010s or something like that. Mid 2010s or something along the lines of that. Sure, it's fine. Spoiler warning for that. And I yeah. guess retroactive spoiler <laughs> warning for Drawn to Life: A New Chapter or whatever the second one was called. But. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Rhyme, like, throughout the game, like, you're getting these, like, flashbacks of, like, the kid and, like, you know, how he got stranded at the sea, like, he was on a boat with, like, his dad or whatnot, and, like, you know, a giant storm happened and then he gets stranded or whatnot, and, like, as you're going through the game, you get these, like, cool, like, mystical elements and, like, these cool, like, lore of, like, wherever this island is or whatnot, and then, like, the final, like, five, ten minutes, you're playing as the dad, mourning about the fact that your son is gone, until, like, at the very end, like, the the scarf that the kid was worn or whatnot, like, that the entire time, like, the dad just, like, lets it go and gets it lost in the wind. Like, the kid doesn't even go back to his dad. Like, the kid is gone forever. Oh my god. <laughs> video games, video games can be so dark, I swear. They really can, and we'll definitely talk a lot more about that with our conversation, but... For now, Final Fantasy fourteen. That is your answer. You're locking that in. I am. I am. Especially because I, I think it's even topically appropriate because Urchin's Fall has actually been like super influenced by the Final Fantasy series. Well, there we go. We'll definitely talk about that a lot more. But for now, I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Nathan Ragland. You can also call me Post. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Uh, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash PMAP. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> they, are the developer, the, the uh, <laughs> they are the developer of the sensational tabletop RPG Urchins Fall, as well as being the grooviest armadillo VTuber on the internet. Welcome to the podcast, Rocco Forend! Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty friggin' good. Good, good. I'm nice, chill Sunday afternoon. I had like waffles with blueberries oh, and walnuts. You are making oh, yeah. me hungry. You're making me hungry. Uh, to be fair, like for lunch, I had sushi. But anyways, it's... whoa! <laughs> I want that. I know, right? But yeah. never, nevertheless, thank you for taking the time to be here and talk. I know we've been friends for a good bit. I've been wanting you on the podcast for a little bit. We've been holding off for a very special occasion. But now that the the, the big event has dropped or whatnot, I definitely want to divulge a lot into that. But before really divulging to the stuff you're making nowadays, I want to go back just a little bit and know more or less the origin story of Rocco. What got you interested in art and video games in the first place? Oh, oh. 
Um, I think it's just kind of like a thing that I naturally gravitated towards as like a little kid. Okay. Uh, like I had just kind of been drawing ever since I was old enough to hold a pencil. Okay. Um, and I guess with video games, I, I got like a hand-me-down that, that came a couple years later. So I'd say drawing probably started, uh, at around like the age of two or three or something like that, Mm -hmm. like little child in preschool always standing by the canvas making something (laughs) and that kind of turned into actually making comics in kindergarten okay um and i actually made a couple of old web videos not web videos it was like webcam stop motion stuff or like Ooh. you know scannings of my drawings and then I, you'd hear the little child's voice go oh, that mega boy stop the village from taking over pumpkin island or something <laughs> like that and i think oh god how old was i like five six seven at most um for my birthday party that was actually like the party favor if i remember correctly was just like a little home movie that i made of like a comic that i voice acted as like a little child yeah and then i found out that there was a video game character called mega man and i had to retire (laughs) the mega boy thing because everyone's like oh is this like mega man no (laughs) no it isn't rocco how dare you do copyright infringement how dare you (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even know what mega man was at the time i hadn't really touched a video game until a couple of years later okay but i think my first interaction with gaming would have again been in preschool probably like pre-k4 or something like that um and we had like a couple of computers and they had oh god i can't remember the exact name of it but it was a pajama sam spinoff okay with like a bunch of platforming Hmm. you know just kind of it kind of like an endless runner Okay. Uh, but like divided up into levels and I played the ever living hell out of that thing. I think <laughs> over the course of the school year, I got up to like level 67 and my best friend was like the next highest level and he was at like 22, oh, you wow. know, or something like I was, I was into this game. <laughs> um, so I, I guess it probably would have started like there uh, initially and uh, then I guess a couple years later, um, I got a hand-me-down Game Boy from a family friend who upgraded to one of the, the fancy ones with the turbo buttons. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And they were like, I don't need this anymore. So I got a little purple Game Boy Advance SP where you hey. fold the screenshot. And I, I got a copy of Metroid Zero Mission, probably at the age of like six. And I was just kind of enthralled. I mean, uh, I can see why. <laughs> I mean, yeah, video it, games are sick. Yeah, no, absolutely, especially at that point, like you know, at, at that young of an age or whatnot, you know, six around that time, like your your mind like instantly gravitates to these like amazing, fantastical worlds, especially like Metroid or whatnot. Was that like some of the first games that like really grabbed your attention? I I think before that, it probably would have just had to have been like flash games. Like there was a mm-hmm. bunch of oh god, there was like Fancy Pants Adventure, yes. Bob the Blob uh hobbit's revenge or something i don't think that one has been too well remembered um but that one was like you're just playing as 
like a copyright free version of Bilbo Baggins, and I remember <laughs> the ultimate weapon is like a frying pan, and you can just like one shot Smaug with it, or uh, I, the the dragon, not Smaug. I, I'm course. sorry, I just hear frying pan flash games, and I'm like, did this game predict PUBG? How dare that the, the ultimate weapon being the frying pan? <laughs> Is the ultimate weapon in PUBG a frying pan? And it's like the most iconic weapon from that game. Like people use that because like you could have that. It, it's like it's very powerful when it comes to like you know melee combat or whatnot. And then you can have it on your back. And it's basically just like a mini shield, like an like a bulletproof shield on what? your back. Yeah, yeah. Probably makes a good sound effect too when you. Oh, it does. With your... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I can see how that would be a pretty popular weapon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, like, especially thinking about, like, some of the, the Flash games you were talking about right there, like, especially back then when you were that young or whatnot, that was, like, the Wild West of Flash games. Like, anyone could make oh, a Flash yeah. game. And that was how a lot of people, I mean, you could probably attest to this, but a lot of people, like, got their inspiration to be in gaming in the first place, working on these little Flash games or whatnot. Uh, I think a lot of those Flash games were, like, really influential on me also. Um, specific ones that I imagine we'll probably touch on later. Um, but kind of going back to like that journey of, of an interest in games and game design. Um, I was just kind of fascinated with video games for like the next several years. Okay. Uh, and I didn't beat Metroid Zero Mission until like three years later. <laughs> I remember I beat it on the toilet. I was like gaming on the toilet. Like we take things seriously. This console's portable, so I'm taking it on the go. There you go. And I'm just, you know, sitting there looking at the credits roll and just kind of having a quiet moment in the restroom, just like, holy crap, look at all the people who worked on this game. Um, and it was it was kind of around that time, probably like second or third grade, whatever grade nine-year-olds are in, I don't know. I don't have kids. <laughs> um, uh, they, they gave me the, like, what do you want to be when you grow up assignment? And I was very adamantly... Um, against that assignment. I was like, I don't want to grow up. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I was like, this sucks. I don't want to be anything. Um, and I guess eventually, I, I think that like seeing the credits kind of roll was kind of like an epiphany of a game designer. There you go. I want to make these. That, I mean, hey, that's a good foundation more than anything, especially at that young, having that kind of impression on you. Was that more or less when it for you became just like a general love for like art and such to a passion and wanting to make it your career? Um, I don't think I had a very clear game plan for another several years. Understandable. Um, I mean, the, who, what, what nine year old has a game plan at that point? Let's be honest. Yeah. Cause if you're nine years old and you go, I, I want to make video games, uh, and, and all of your like guidance counselors and teachers are like, I don't know if that's possible. Mm. I don't I don't know if that's a viable career path or something you can do. So I actually faced a lot of like discouragement from it growing up. Okay. Uh from like my educators of like I don't think this is a thing. And I think a big part of that was just that there weren't a lot of resources out there. Especially you know? at that time, yeah. Oh yeah, like this was early YouTube era. Mm -hmm. You know, or stuff like that like indie games were not really a thing well known and the video games that most people knew were from nintendo which is in japan so they're like this this kid's got some lofty goals um and i think probably around 
uh, the age of 12 or so, okay. um, I played Cave Story. I was just kind of, like, bored. I had played a gazillion games, and I was just Googling, like, best free games ever. Uh, and number one was Spelunky, and I didn't like it. Uh, so I'm like, okay, let's try number two, and that was Cave Story. And something about it just, like, touched me in my heart. Just, like, it hit, knowing that it was one person who worked on a game for five years and ultimately decided to release it for free, I think kind of had this drastic impact on me of, I want to do that. Right, right. I remember I, I remember you telling me about this game at least a good couple of times and the, the many lifetimes and iterations that it has gone through more than anything else. I mean, it, I think you correct me if I'm wrong, you've said that has been more or less like your favorite game of all time or something along the lines of that? Or? I mean, I replayed it recently and I don't think I can say that anymore. Okay, understandable. But, I, it, but... it is a game that I love very dearly, but I think it has some deep flaws that are a consequence of it being a solo developer right. and there not being anyone in the room to go, yo, 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 that's stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but I, I think the kind of lack of someone else to be there to muddle the vision is why it was able to like resonate with me so strongly of, of I just kind of sensed the love that was baked into it. I mean, yeah, especially especially as someone that has worked on a lot of their own stuff on their own or whatnot, or at least this podcast, with the exception of, you know, the people that are supporting me or whatnot. No, I, I, I get it. Like, I, I understand kind of just – what's that word? Kind of – like, it's incredible to think, like, like – what a what you yourself are able to do and what this other person all on their own are able to accomplish especially something that especially at the time for you that high quality that oh, yeah. much love and care going into it more than anything else like i can see how that more or less if not you know further that inspiration at least reinforced like this is what you wanted to do yeah, and and it was, like, a, a path that I was already kind of towing. Like, I, you know those, like, game design summer camps? Yes, yes, I do. I, uh, I, I, like, went to one in second grade, and I got a little piece of software called StageCast Creator, and that mm. is actually where I started uh, making my first games, and hoo boy... I need to show you this engine because <laughs> it, it makes Scratch look like a super computational like thought process. <laughs> I, I I could link it to you later, but it's just a you have to see it to believe it. Everything is locked to grid movement. Every single scene has to be the exact same dimensions. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it it was like drag and drop programming at its draggiest and droppiest. <laughs> I imagine more or less, like, especially at that point, it, it, it's like the, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like the bare minimum is to get that foot in the door and, like, kind of get a general understanding of what you're getting yourself into rather than, you know, the open worldness and, like, the, yeah. the, the kind of, like, confusion that comes to it. Like, so what exactly am I supposed to do? Do I, do I bring this? How, how do I stretch this? Do I have to do a nod or something like that? <laughs> like, yeah. The, um, I remember that was actually where I had the first, like, bug that I ever had to fix oh. was uh, it took me nine months to a year to figure out. Uh, and it was uh, just the evil elevator was uh, in order to enter the final boss, there's this elevator that you would kind of just walk on. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would, you know, hopefully carry you up to the final boss. 
and you would fight them and it would be all fine and dandy. But the issue was, for whatever reason, um, you would be, like, pushed out of the elevator or fall through it. Mm. Um, and kind of the main reason that was the issue with that was every single rule or script or function in Stagecast Creator has an order of priority. Okay. And gravity was being labeled as, like, a higher priority than the elevator. Uh, so in order to use this elevator before I could kind of figure out the bug, you just had to mash the right arrow key to re-enter <laughs> it in midair as it continues to rise up. I mean, you say that, but, you know, especially if gravity is like the priority, I feel like the easier way would have been to have the elevator go down instead of up. That's just me thinking. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I was doing this when I was like probably like 10 years old, okay. 9, 10, 11 age range. And I I was doing stuff that was super out of scope. Like, I was making, like, a platformer with, like, a level select and a gazillion playable characters okay. that each had, like, unique elemental skills. So you had to, like, breathe fire to melt the ice or uh, get rid of the vines or, like, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't either... know. It's, it's probably entirely lost to time. I mean, either way, just having that, I guess like the the creativity allowing that especially at that young age to really just let it run wild and have that try to make that a thing especially with what was probably at the time like the very limited you know abilities with the programs you're using and whatnot like that's that's just cool like that that's awesome to yeah. hear like more or less like I said the foundation of the the game development you would be continuing to to really go head first into. I mean, like, especially, you know, thinking, you know, for a long, obviously, like, you know, as we've been talking about, very young age, really got into that whole entire game development. That's something you definitely kept with you to the point to where you're actually in game development today. Like, you, that is, you know, a position you've held before. And that's something, in, like, it's cool to know that you've been able to really invest yourself in that field more than anything else. Like, how would you personally describe the the game development more or less, like, journey for you when you think back on it, just even like from the early aspect to where you are now? Um, I definitely think that kids today probably have it easier. Probably. So by the age of 12, I was like pretty much all in of like, it's make video games or bust. This is going to be the lifelong passion. This is, this is what I'm doing with my life, period. This is not up for discussion. Um, so by that point, I was kind of just like looking for resources because my school could only provide me with resources for programming right uh which is not my jam <laughs> i can program but i'm a designer you know oh, okay um and i i pretty much just had to rely on the best resources that i could find on youtube which would have been like the early videos from extra credits mm. and the few insights that i got from sequelitis by Ego Raptor. That came out when I was like 12 <laughs> or 13, and I had to kind of take that as gospel of talking because the Mega Man video talked about, like, you know, where the player's eye is drawn and the design of the level and how it introduces challenges naturally and combines them. And I thought that was so fascinating. So it was kind of just doing stuff like that until eventually I kind of found a college that was actually like providing the curriculum that I was looking for and the exact discipline of game development that I was kind of focused on. 
And then I kind of had a much better, much more um, professional roadmap of uh, resources, textbooks, uh, learning about uh, Game Developers Conference or GDC um, and being able to watch those talks. And these days, oh my God, if a, if a kid <laughs> asked me these days, they're like, hey, what are some online resources that I could use to get me into game design? I could recommend them like... 10 YouTube channels and two books uh, you or know, something like that. Especially in today's internet age where like everyone just basically puts the resources out there more than anything else. Like, yeah, I, I, I can fully believe that. I can absolutely believe yeah. that. <laughs> Part of me honestly wants to like get into making educational videos about game design and game mm, development okay. and like the philosophy of that. I, I feel like that, is something that would probably take a lot more scripting and editing than I like to do with my content just cuz I'm such a <laughs> I'm such a free spirit. I hate doing <laughs> scripted content. Um but like I want to put resources out there and like I want to help to build a path so that the next generation of kids who love video games can help to just keep spreading joy. Absolutely. I mean that would be like I said, going back to the point of, you know, the fact that you know, the age of the internet, the resources to have out there, any more that people can have to really, like, know for sure if this is the path they want to go on, I'm sure people are going to be more than willing to consume it more than anything else. So, yeah. Yeah, I especially appreciate, you know, the fact that you want to be a part of that in one way or another, especially with, like you were saying, game design. Now, I am an outsider when it comes to how games work and how games are developed. So I'll Absolutely. start. So I'll start by asking this: How is game design different from some of the other aspects when it comes to video games? Ooh, that's a question most designers will actually really struggle with because okay. people have a very, very hard time drawing the line. Uh, game design is kind of an all-encompassing blanket term that mm. involves. Uh, structuring the layout of the game's interface or the level or the narrative or the balancing of the various variables or the gameplay or the camera or enemy ai all of that can fall under design of designing the game mm -hmm. um but i and people are like okay then how do we quantify that so i kind of think of it like this is uh my job is to make things easier for the artists and programmers that they okay. don't have to ask me questions to know what needs to be made or how something's going to work. Um, so for like, cause I come from an indie background, so I do all sorts of stuff. I do a little bit of programming. I do a little bit of art and animation. I do lots of design. I do interface. I do narrative. I do systems, which is uh, writing the actual rules of a game. Right. And kind of thinking about that stuff. Um, I forget where I was going with this, <laughs> but kind of at the end of the day is the artists and the programmers make the stuff and then the producers and management and designers uh, make sure that they just have an easy time. And in the case of just design is, I guess, just a general filler term. It just kind of covers everything. It just kind of covers it. I, I, hearing you describe it reminds me of a previous interview I've had with uh, Joe Horn, who was the director of Classic 3000, um, Boondocks, like you know, several shows like that or whatnot. I, he, 
like his role as director in animation is probably similar to yours as game designer. It's more or less the firefighter, more or less. Like you kind of make sure everything's kind of prepped and set up to where if a disaster is to happen, you can sort of more or less come in and be like, this is how you're supposed to set it up. This is how we're trying to get it working properly so that whenever the game does get shipped out, hopefully it won't have more bugs than, you know, say nine months previously. Absolutely. I think that I think that for that analogy, uh, I think that production would probably be the firefighter okay. Okay. of actually managing us and saying what tasks we need to do week by week or month by month and what the deadlines are, what the priorities are. And, you know, sometimes designers will be involved in that, but in a larger team, okay. that's up to the production side of things. I The analogy that I often kind of like to use is think of it like a construction site. Okay. Um, the artists and the programmers are the builders, and the designers are the architects. Okay. Or the people drawing the blueprints, and of course, there's there's a lot of intermingling between that because this is a very collaborative, multidisciplinary kind of uh, industry. Um, so it's not going to be as cut and dry as I make the blueprints and you do what I say. No, it doesn't no, work like no. that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I imagine it's more like, okay, so here's an idea of how, like, here's the blueprints of what I think should work. And then the probably the artists and programmers are like, yeah, there's no way we could put that door in right there. There's there's only so much we can do on that aspect. And then, yeah, it's more like a back and forth like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it, it's funny that you should mention doors because actually there's a bit of a thought exercise Mm. Um, that I learned very early in college that, you know, they tell young designers is, okay, okay, let, let's do it right now. Post, you're a fledgling young designer. Okay. Your game has doors. There are now 40-something questions I'm going to ask you of, can the doors open? If so, which doors can be opened? Which mm. doors can't be opened? How okay. do players open them? Do they open automatically? What do the doors look like? And how can players tell which doors can and cannot be opened? That is a design problem. Understandable. That makes it yeah. a lot more... That Our previous conversation... Perfectly wrapped up in a little bows, a little gift. This is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. I and answer questions about doors. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Rocco. He's the doorman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or I get frustrated and go, you know what? It's a post-apocalyptic world and there's no more doors. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the doors. They took them down. They burned it for firewood. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. But but you can pretty much extend that door question to every single aspect of the game of what is this hazard mm-hmm. of spikes? Are there spikes that look different? How much damage does it do? Uh, if a player goes through like a, a one-way platform from beneath, will the spikes impale them that way? Or just all sorts of tiny little minutia. You know, fair enough, fair enough. And even thinking, you know... <laughs> thinking that's the job that you have to do and thinking of some of the games you have been involved in, whether it be indie or AAA, I won't name any to make sure not to dox you, but you know, you, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly like a lot, like I imagine a varied experiences that you probably had, whether it be independent or AAA games that you've been able to help with, you know, video game development or whatnot. Like, would you say that the experiences you've had since you've been in game development has been more or less surreal for you being involved with, you know, whether it be a little independent game that maybe a handful of people play or some triple A game that maybe everyone knows of? Um, there, 
there's a few that have felt surreal in the past that feel pretty real now that I've had a couple years to let it sink in. Okay. I had, um, like, a AAA internship uh, that lasted a couple of weeks working on a game that people have definitely heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, whoa, this is really weird. <laughs> and I was having a really bad imposter syndrome about it. I feel like that's kind of... That's kind of the thing that is more notable than any um, feeling of surrealism. Okay. Is just, am I qualified? Am I doing this right? Is everything on fire? Am I a professional? <laughs> am I unprofessional? Oh, no. I mean, I, I I would like to hope everything's not on fire, though. I would be careful with your chair right there. I see the flames right there. So um. Yeah, uh, they, they help me type fast. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what? fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But I, I can, I can understand where that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Wow. Words. What did I just say right there? No, I can understand where that imposter syndrome can come from, especially like you were saying with like a triple A massive game that everyone has definitely heard of more than anything else. But like, I also imagine on the opposite end, like working on a smaller team and really like collaborating together to really push out like a, a incredible, unique product more than anything else, like. If nothing else, that has to just be cool, like especially at the end of the day, looking back and being like, I helped with that. How in the world? <laughs> yeah, it's like a holy crap, we made something and people are playing it. That's always that's always the craziest part is the player feedback. Yeah. Always. Is oh my god, people are playing this. Or or, you know, uh, like seventy percent of the things that end up getting designed usually get left on the cutting room floor. Okay. So whenever I release a game, like by the time we're done with like a long dev cycle, I'm like, oh no, people are gonna hate this. And I go, yeah, it's all right. And I'm like, oh my god, this is insane. <laughs> I mean that it's incredible to hear. Like I'm always amazed when it comes to like the the video game development aspect or whatnot. I mean, you know, I've had a couple people that have worked with video game development in one aspect for another. Good friend we both know, Tag the Otter, hearing uh, his experience or whatnot yeah. was always You've incredible. You've also had Duper on, right? I have had Duper on as well. That yeah. was also a good episode as well, which I don't know. By the way, thank you for the little tidbit about the Animal Crossing Frog Chair meme account. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you saw the moment, but he was straight up just like, how do you know about that? How did you hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> well, speaking of the people that I've had on this podcast or whatnot, you know, a connection that those two that you just mentioned or whatnot is another you know, connection that you have because obviously, you know, sorry to, to, to break the immersion everyone, but I am talking to a virtual armadillo in a chair in his, in a room right now. So in a, I, in a room with a glowing chicken nugget with a force field around it and a pixelated cactus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry. Sorry to break the realism. y'all. <laughs> immersion break right here, people, but you've oh, gotten yeah. invested when it comes to streaming and VTubing. I have to ask what got you interested in the streaming aspect in the first place? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I just kind of did it on a whim. Okay. Like, was I... there was there any like maybe like a, a content creator or whatnot that was doing like streaming beforehand that you kind of saw and you were just kind of like, oh, that's cool. Maybe I can do something like that. I can tell you, like, I I've always been a bit of a performer, right? Okay. Like, I I was doing, uh, like, tricks on the swing set. 
uh, <laughs> in our backyard, and I would invite the whole neighborhood over to watch me perform tricks. Would you do like the um, the, the simple one of like just swinging doing like a backflip whenever you're at like the right pinnacle or whatnot, or like yeah, if just I was, launching if yourself? If I was doing a backflip, it was on the little like uh, trapeze swing on it. Ah, fair enough. Um, I I'm not flipping on the swings. <laughs> I. I don't know. It was like really lame. It was like, oh wow, a somersault and a cartwheel or something like that. Um, and then I got into theater, uh, probably in like eighth grade or so. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Performing's never been that alien for me. So like live streaming and content creation, I feel like everyone's thought about it, right? Yeah. Like everyone's like, I should make a YouTube video <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but kind of a product of that right here that we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say probably uh, like my senior year of college, which was uh, like the 2020 to 2021 school year, which was a uh, terrible time to be a student. <laughs> you don't um, say. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, during that was like the initial VTuber explosion. Okay. Um, and that was kind of my first proper exposure to vtubers and vtubing okay um and me and my roommates would occasionally watch like some vtuber clips together um and our mutual friend jet was actually one of my roommates at the time there you go <laughs> um so we would watch uh mostly uh pakora because that was our other roommate's favorite from mm, hollow live okay and corone um i uh, I loved the Ecom video that blew up. Um, and <laughs> that good one. kind of just planted the initial seed. And I guess kind of around that time, you know, another one of our close friends had like a VTuber hyperfixation. So I was like, what if I was a VTuber? Uh, and we had like a little brainstorming session. And I was like, I want to be a robot, you know? And I was, mm. I was being very clear. I was like, I want to do something different. I want to do something no one's done before. And I'm like, I want to be a robot. And my friend goes, everyone's a robot. <laughs> Everyone and their grandmothers has been a robot. You can't do that. So my next thought was like, damn, okay, I'm a game developer. Can I make like a, a game dev joke? So I was thinking like, um, you know, the NES cheating device, like game genie. Yes. I, yeah. I, I was thinking of doing, like, a pun where I'd be, like, a wish-granting spirit that's trapped inside of a cheating device or, like, an old Ooh, console. So okay. I would actually be, like, a game genie. But I was like, I'm pretty fucking white. I don't think I should do that. Valid, so, go on. <laughs> so I didn't. I, I didn't even draw up character design concepts. I'm just like, someone should do that. Not me. Not, not you. <laughs> not me. Um, so I, you know, was kind of just like out of ideas. And I'm like, dang. So I head over to my room and I see my little stuffed armadillo that I've had since I was a little baby. Oh. And I'm like, wait a second. Are there any armadillo VTubers? And I'm like scrolling through and I think there were none Someone did, like, a character design concept as a challenge for themselves. And I went, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that and make it myself. You know, do it different. Because I, I will say, I look nothing like that. I was like, I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. If that's the only armadillo out there, we got to fix this. There you go. Uh, and I suppose kind of the rest is history. 
So yeah. that, that probably started the the character design process of Rocco probably happened a few months before I started streaming just for the lols. That was always kind of the thing was for the lols. And then that summer after my senior year, I had three credits that I just kind of had to wrap up before I could graduate. So I have this semester where I have one class. That's it. Uh, so I'm like, okay, um, I have way too much free time, and it's not like I can fill out a gazillion job applications since I haven't graduated yet. So I just kind of started live streaming to uh, kill time. I thought it would be funny. I just drew up a little armadillo PNG. I, I clicked the go live button, and uh, I ended up having fun with it. So uh, here we are today, Yeah, a yeah, year and a half later. That that's gotta be insane to think about more than anything else. Like just <laughs> like it just started off as just you being just a, a goofy, silly little, you know, armadillo PNG and here you are a year and a half later, and boy, the community alone that you've just developed. <laughs> Absolutely. I freaking love I, I should specify like the little corner of the VTuber community that we found. Because mm -hmm. I think VTubing as a whole has grown way too large to say that it's one cohesive community but the the people that we know and surround ourselves with are some of the most incredible people i've ever met Absolutely. and i'm so fortunate to have them as friends and if i were if i were to stop vtubing today that would be the best thing to come out of this is those friendships by a vast margin it wouldn't even be close I mean, absolutely. I mean, even just thinking, like, not just the community, but just, like, the the different things you've been able to achieve since you've been able to be a part in VTubing or whatnot, like, the the amount of followers you've been able to grow or whatnot, the incredible moments and the incredible streams you've been able to do or whatnot, you know, the collaborations you've been a part of, you know, the, the fact that you're part of a very strong uh, community and a VTuber group with a wrecking crew or whatnot, like, thinking mm -hmm. back to just, again, starting off as just live streaming just to kill time, to who you are right now does it amaze you more or less the vtuber journey you've been on mm. hmm. uh it's it's hard to think of anything as too crazy considering i've like kind of painstakingly sat there and like built you know this overlay and this room and yeah. the redeems and you know, all of my emotes and panels and my old PNGs. The model I'm using now is not made by me, but, like, for a period of time, everything was done by me. Right. So I don't think I was, like, too, too, too overwhelmed by it, um, like, overall. Because I, I had worked on an indie game previously that was released for free and got over, like, 100,000 downloads. Oh, wow. So I was, like, I was, like, already a little used to things like kind of popping off so this is like i guess a little mini version of that That's uh, good. but i built it this time yeah like um, especially the ground like you were saying it was just all the assets that you've basically had with the exception of the model but even then like your old pngs or yeah. whatnot thinking how you've been able to construct them by hand and do a good job with them nevertheless like i oh, love yeah. i love the aesthetic and the overlays and everything you've built up with your channel thank you i think i will say that Definitely the most shocking thing to me was how fast I started growing when I, like, first started. That I, I, I kind of more or less hit affiliate in a month, and I was like, okay, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> 
I, at that point, I had pretty much only streamed things where my computer was breaking mm. and an old JRPG from 2004. You know, maybe Hades once and maybe <laughs> Art twice or something like that of, oh, crap, uh, we're about to hit affiliate. I should make emotes. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's probably <laughs> that's probably the best time to do an art stream more than anything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Goodness. That's the, that's the thing about art streams is half the time I'm doing them, I just need chat to be there to, like, keep me focused and accountable and productive so I don't get, just get, like, sidetracked on YouTube literally all day, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's I, that's a good thing about chat. They can certainly keep you... <laughs> grab your attention more than anything else whenever you need them the most. <laughs> oh, boy, can I. <laughs> Thinking back to all the, the streams or the collabs or the moments or whatnot, do you have a personal favorite stream or moment, or at least one that if you were to present to someone wondering, what is a Rocco Far End stream like? Is there like a moment or a stream that you would present to them and be like, this is what you should expect? I actually, I think up on YouTube, I have a little playlist of a couple of my favorite VODs. Um, and usually it's when things devolve into absolute chaos. Yes. <laughs> uh, when my, when... Uh, I'm screaming and everybody's screaming and, you know, laughing and chat is messing with me and my mods are just making everything so much worse by, you know, <laughs> egging on chat, which I encourage my moderators to do. I'm like, listen, I want you guys to make me suffer just a little. <laughs> give, give me some problems to take care of, you know? Um mess with me give me a hard time um but i i think probably one of my favorite streams ever has to be the nine month anniversary when i first had this room set up um so something about this room is um whoops that's the wrong scene uh <laughs> that each of these props can move independently so the right. shoes can go there and you know the cactus could go on my desk or something like that um, and I had Tag, Jet, and Uji, who was still active in the community at the time as Uji, uh, in this little living room, and it was like a little housewarming party, and we did a bunch of prop comedy, and <laughs> I had such a blast. I had such an absolute blast. I mean, w when you laugh until it hurts, that's how you know it's a good time. Yes. Yes. And it was it was absolutely one of those streams. Pretty much anything really dumb I've done with my friends. Some other highlights are the April Fool's stream that Jet and I did. Of um, The bit that we did was, it was like a tier list of fetishes, but we pretended not to know what any of them are. Right, right, I remember um, that. <laughs> yeah, so one was like impregnation, but the end was cut off because it was too long, so it just said impregnatio. Or like impregnatio, I don't know what that is. I don't speak Italian. F tier, <laughs> or something like that. And that one's really funny to me. Also, um, there was the the creation of Mister Typeface, which is this little the, right. the red typewriter character up in the corner. I was just like, yeah, I just want to draw like a little typewriter OC I have. And one of my mods, before I had even finished the line art, was just sending me an increasing amount of typewriter porn. That they were drawing <laughs> oh no! 
So the the VOD is just me getting sent like increasing amounts of typewriter porn while I'm just trying to like draw, and you just see like my sanity fraying over the course of <laughs> the stream. <laughs> And I think that makes for a pretty good viewing experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a pretty good one. I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of a couple of moments in like streams as well. I know anytime you did like a jump stream or a jump king, like you know, oh like challenge, <laughs> like especially like a challenge stream or whatnot, like the the mm -hmm. donathons or whatnot, like just the chaos that would divulge into one of those calls more than anything else was always, always entertaining to see. I. One of the moments I will always fondly remember, I don't remember, I think you were just doing like an art stream or something like that. And then mm. all of a sudden, like you had like a bunch of people hop into the call, but like we were all different versions of your PNGs or whatnot. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the Rocco family reunion. <laughs> the, the, the My Rocco, My and Me or whatnot that we deserve. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even remember what started that absolute I don't know either. <laughs> I, I think someone set their PNG to be one of my like older, uh models as like a joke and i guess the whole friend group just kind of coordinated together and started coming on as <laughs> rocco throughout the ages and it was the the rocco family reunion and noel was like the she was voicing boldero the Bold big himbo <laughs> oh god her, her top dude <laughs> Oh yeah, high fives all around and mirror comes in with a slugma png of the pokemon as the dog and he's like <laughs> don't leave me fido what was it was it was it chunk or, or venji or someone had came in like as like your dad or something like that it's like crap i forgot the milk and then just disconnected immediately and it's a rocco family reunion up top <laughs> yo up top come on up top, no, up top. Never <laughs> Who doesn't love <laughs> me when I have leprosy? Dad? Is that dad, bro? It's dad. Is that I Rocco's dad? Is that our dad? Fuck! I forgot the milk. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! That's what he left Some to go get. That might have been near. I don't. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. That one was really good. Another one that I love was the parody that we did of R slash Place when that came back. Oh, now, right. I just, yeah, I, I made it like a publicly available Microsoft Excel sheet and I made all the cells little squares and everybody did a bunch of art within that kind of live. So there were like 20 something contributors, give or take. I don't know exactly, but it ended up being really cool and it was just like a nice little canvas showing something from people throughout the community Yeah, that we built together and i was like whoa yeah i'm I'm still like whoa about it i don't know if i'd be able to even like replicate that stun again i know right that'd be something insane <laughs> and of course i i have to give credit where credit is due to you of somehow bringing back to relevancy the wonderful uh oh, icon known as buck bumble <laughs> oh, no. i forgot about that buck bumble never died how we got that trending on Twitter. <laughs> that was that was that it goes back to what i was saying earlier when it comes to your community your community is something special your community is incredible and i love being a part of it more than anything else i <laughs> They really are some amazing friggin' people. Mm -hmm. I mean, just they thinking... just they just take a joke and go with it. No, <laughs> like just think of the 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 people that I like. You know, think of how like for me personally, like you know, I met you through Sam or whatnot, and you know, you basically opened the door to a lot of the people I consider like near and dear friends today. Like just being a part of your server and just being you know in your community or whatnot. Like it's always incredible. Just thinking like not only how 
like how dedicated they are to like if there's like a bit going on like they will hop on board and like carry it to like the fullest extent oh yeah our friends are funny people they really are they They really really are friggin are Uh, goodness, and I imagine, you know, especially thinking back to, like, your community and, you know, especially thinking, like, back to your VTuber stuff or whatnot, like, you said yourself, like, you built a lot of this stuff yourself and, like, being able to have this, like, cool foundation that you've basically built with your bare hands, that's gotta be incredible. I imagine that same sentiment has carried over into your most recent, quite possibly your biggest project so far, and that has to be Urchin's Fall. Oh, yeah. So, I, I have to know, uh, for people that don't know... Well, let me start by asking this question. What was exactly the inspiration for this incredible, like, lore-invested tabletop RPG that you've created? Oh, okay. So for context, yeah, Urchin's Fall is a tabletop RPG that I made as a solo project uh, starting in November, and I kind of released the first version in January just over two months later. I think it ended up being... 10 weeks and one day in total of dev mm-hmm. time before releasing it. Um, but the groundwork for Urchin's Fall, or, or rather what would become Urchin's Fall, started way, 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 way sooner in that um, I'm a kid with ADHD. Okay. That's a lie. I'm a grown-ass man with ADHD. <laughs> uh, but I was a kid with ADHD when I was a kid. Okay. Um, so I would just be constantly drawing, 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 drawing in the little margins of my homework and my worksheets and coming up with these elaborate little stories and worlds in my head. And uh, one that I kind of started in around probably like 11th grade or so uh, would end up becoming Urchin's Fall. Okay. Uh, and it started off radically different from what we know now. Um, I can only imagine. <laughs> But I, I can definitely say that the biggest influences on it, even even back then, were like anime and Final Fantasy. Understandable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And even to this day, I still love anime and Final Fantasy. Yep. They're, yep. they're big-ass influences on me. I mean, especially and thinking... I wear that on my sleeve. I was going to say, like, especially thinking, you know, just on, like, the, the base level of, like, just uh, going back to, like, you know, the lore, like, the, the unique universe that you've created for Urchin's Fall, whether it be the planet of uh, East Imanis. Correct me if I'm saying that wrong or whatnot. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, East Imanis. East Imanis, you know, the plate, the Urchin Moon alone, like, just the 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 different elements of the the different people, the different races, uh, classes, like all the different aspects of it. I could definitely see that influence like being, you know, based off of like anime, final fantasy, like those like over the top, incredible, like atmospheres and like adventures or whatnot, like really being more or less the groundwork for this game. I mean, the, the main kind of visual for urchins fall is a moon with a giant cannon on it yep (laughs) that super magical elemental warriors fire themselves out of so they can destroy us all like that is the most anime thing there is (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say that's either the most anime or the most final fantasy which i mean kind of the same vein so oh yeah final fantasy like I don't know. I, I I have always been like a JRPG kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I, I like my leveling up. I like my progression. And hey, a couple magical MacGuffins are nice once in a while. 
Uh, Urchin's Fall doesn't have magical MacGuffins unless a GM wants to add some, at least for right now. Um, but, like, I don't know. It, it's it's just kind of a hybrid of my many, many, many interests over an extended period of several years. Because if you were to take a look at Urchin's Fall it, or what would become it back when it was Project 665 and I was in high school. Okay. Unrecognizable. <laughs> Completely unrecognizable. I mean, that's... It, a, it was basically, like, interdimensional, like, airport security. <laughs> or some nonsense. Like, it was, like, actually unrecognizable. I mean, yeah, to be fair, I mean, especially considering, you know, like I said, this goes back years. Um, last time I checked, things really change when time is added to it. And I imagine, like, especially fleshing out a lot more ideas or whatnot. I mean, to be fair, oh, yeah. years, years ago, you weren't a VTubing armadillo, yet here we are. I mean... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I have to I have to ask, especially when it comes to that the, the story itself, like, it... Again, I'm gushing about just, like, the lore alone that you've kind of developed with this thing. Just thinking about, like I said, the, the giant kid on the moon basically launching, you know, super elemental uh, warriors or whatnot. They're basically there to destroy you more than anything else. Like, Hell yeah. I, I, I have to know, like, especially when it comes to Urchin's Fall, what, when did it go from just, like, that, you know, basic premise all, the, all these years ago or whatnot to you just finally put your foot down and be like, I have to make this game a reality. Yeah. Uh, the night before I announced it. Okay. <laughs> Literally the night before I announced it. So, so this was kind of a project that I was just always kind of drawing and doodling, and I had all these mechanical sketches for this big, bombastic JRPG and all of these stories. Because um, uh, the main character of the story that I wanted to tell is the prince of the Shoss is pretty much. He mm -hmm. is the figurehead of this movement to eliminate humanity who has kind of moved in on this distant planet and are, are viewed as heretical just by existing. Right. Because, right. you know, there's a deity living in this planet with a god complex going, I didn't make these guys. What the <laughs> heck? Yo, we got to kill them. Yep. Um... So I, I I had all these mechanical sketches about a unique leveling system and character kits. And I, oh, don't, don't you worry. I, I still have those. But it was kind of the, this is the thing that I want to make when I'm like 30, 35, have, you know, a decade of industry experience and maybe actually like a little bit of seniority to accomplish something at a much grander scale. Right. Um, and I, you know, it wanted to do something with it, but. I was always like, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm not experienced enough yet. Um, and I think some relevant context is for the entire duration of my VTuber journey, I've been on the job hunt pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like almost the entire duration. Uh, the the video game job market uh, is really competitive and sucks. <laughs> um, so... I was just kind of working on, like, portfolio pieces. Like, I want to be able to apply to writing roles as well. So I wanted to get some writing publications out there. So I right. started writing a book about the story of this urchin moon and the Prince of Shosses, who is projected to be the straw that would finally finish off humanity. But he doesn't want to and is branded a traitor and is forced to live among humans and kind of 
learn to live alongside them and for them to learn to accept him mm-hmm. and lead up to the final days of this cosmic war that has been raging on for centuries now um and kind of of a story of like love triumphing with with, with a bit with a bittersweet ending that i wouldn't want to ruin right you know right. but but i was writing this book um and i know you know faust faust yes. ttp yes uh, faust and i had been talking about i wanted to write a book and i just wanted to get some publications out there and they had published books in the past so i was going to them for advice mm-hmm. and they were like i'll look at what you have when you have three thousand words or i think it was like five thousand words and i'm like on page six or something and i'm like it's like 2 a.m and i just have this passing thought of what the hell am i doing <laughs> what am i doing why am i writing a book i'm a game designer i went to school for game design my life has been devoted to video games and all the time on my channel, on Twitch, I go, I'm a game designer, I'm a game designer, I'm a game designer, and I never design games on stream. What the hell am I doing taking on a project of writing a book? That It felt so unrelated. Mm-hmm. So the next day, I just made an announcement like, all right, here's the project. I'm making a tabletop game by myself, no help, and I'm going to live stream it. There you go. And and that's when I decided the time to make it is now of what the hell am I doing? Why am I sitting on my hands waiting for things to be perfect before making a game that I, I'm dreaming of? Let's just get it out there. I'd still love to, you know, in the future, uh, visit the world of Urchin's Fall in another genre. Right. But the reason that I chose to make it a TTRPG is not because I particularly play a lot of TTRPGs in all candor. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to do with that that genre allows me to showcase a lot of my strengths um, while being able to create something very systems-heavy without kind of exiting scope. Right, right. I mean, especially the systems you've more or less like kind of developed when it comes to like the the balancing or even the off balancing stuff or whatnot. The different aspects that you have with you know how people the the, the abilities they're able to garner, the the different uh, types of magic they're able to uh, uh, accompany with or whatnot. The the different races that you have and like how some of their abilities like differ from others or whatnot. Like I can tell that that is a lot of your strong suit. Cause that is a lot of that user manual that I had to look through. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I have plenty of experience working on genres I don't normally play. So, I don't know. I, I just kind of made sure to do my research. And, like, the game is still in what I would consider a very early state, even though there's, you know, a public version available. I consider it to be in somewhat of a public alpha. There's no monster manual. There's no modules. Um, there's plenty of room to refine and playtest and balance and all sorts of things that just take time and manpower I, was, I mean, to be fair, you did say you did this in like 10 weeks. So I will say with the lore that you've invested with it, I know it's like years in the making, but like with what yeah. you were able to type up or whatnot, this seems like something that would take like 10 years to write up, let alone you doing it 10 weeks. It's just impressive on its own. Yeah. Thank you. I think uh, one big thing about the lore um, is a lot of the groundwork for it. Because you were asking about like, you know, the moon and the plate and all of that. 
Mm -hmm. um, and while your Discord was crashed, I actually kind of had a recollection of a lot of the best stuff for Urchin's Fall would be influenced by whatever the heck was happening in class. Uh, so a lot of the really good stuff would happen from science class of, you know, uh, astronomy or plate tectonics or geology okay. or biology, which is where the NIMIL came from. I, I know, and I can say this explicitly, is the first major villain, the first member of Prima Nulo I designed was designed in science class. The first NIMHIL were designed in science class. Um... I wouldn't be surprised if the urchin moon and the plate were similar. You know what? Understandable. Very valid. I mean, even mm -hmm. then, like you were touching on like some of the different races or whatnot that you've invested or whatnot, like the ones that you listed as well, the, the Ziggin or whatnot, the, the, oh, the, yeah. the Yemens or whatnot. Personally, like just looking through and trying to, uh, you know, see what was available or whatnot with the races and classes right now. Rocco, I'm going to say this right now. If I ever get a chance, w sorry, when I get a chance to play this with a group of people, I have yeah. my character, at least the base of it or whatnot. I want to be an old worlder that is a post-merc with a lot of like raid magic, like investor oh. or whatnot. I want to be an old man with a gun that can shoot lightning. That is all I ask. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yes, <laughs> hell yeah! And like, cause I'm I'm looking through like what the old worlder was like, you know, like the fact that they've been there basically since like the start of what you're of this lore or whatnot. Like the fact that they're basically essentially ageless, more or less. The the way that you drew yeah. them, I absolutely love like the character design that you had for them as well. And like, <laughs> I gotta admit, like some of the abilities that you put or whatnot. Personally, I understood the reference. I love Full Metal. That that's a, that's a good little like tidbit right there. <laughs> I accidentally do a full metal alchemist reference. It, it, like if you if you look at how the character design and then you gave it the ability full metal, it looks like full metal alchemist. <laughs> that's that's fair. They're they're very Alphonse. I've always loved um like Dulahans and living armors. I think the first time I ever played D and D would have been in high school, and I insisted that my friend let me do like a homebrew Dulahan race. Ooh. I wanted to be like a 280 year old spirit trapped in a suit of armor. And of course there was like a challenge where we had to swim and my character was not having a good time with that. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. I mean, like going back to like, obviously the lore, like, you know, especially like the old world or whatnot, think of like all the different ages that you've invested or whatnot, the old age, uh, the age of Fae, age of stars, ashes, cloud or whatnot. Like how much did like, is there like a certain aspect of having such a deep lore that you knew was like essential when it came to this game? Like how important was it for you to have such a lore like this for a, a TTRPG? Um, I think at first I actually really under undervalued the importance of the lore. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to do gameplay, 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 you know, fuck the story, like whatever, we'll get to that later. You know, <laughs> that I considered that a lower priority. Um, but kind of around late December, I started getting feedback from friends who had read what I had so far in its entirety and johnny johnny jellyjaw gave me very very detailed feedback he gave me like 15 16 17 notes uh asking mostly questions about the world and he's like i want to learn more about the world and people were saying i want to make a character but i don't know enough about the world and i'm like right. oh yeah uh and i kind of came to the realization that the the story and the world and the fantasy of it is just as important if not more so than um 
the combat, which is what I had been pouring my most of my energy into. I was treating the the act of writing the lore for this game as a neat little treat to do for myself to reward myself. Like, oh, you've you've been a, a good and productive little guy today. Go uh, <laughs> go write some lore as a treat. Um, and I and I kind of realized I was like, oh. No, people people really care about this and want this. Yeah. And I think now that the the base game is out, the next few updates are mostly going to focus on lore and addressing player feedback. Uh and then, you know, time willing, uh I would like to pour some energy into making like a little monster manual. And then after that maybe a module. Um but there, there's, there's just so much I gotta do. I mean, yeah. I, that's understandable, and I, I do want to say I do appreciate that you definitely invest a lot more in that lore. Because I'll be honest, like I've said this to you several times before, I am not a person that plays any tabletop RPGs or whatnot. But like, oh, yeah, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> and like I honestly, like looking at some of this stuff, like I've always been a person to want to be invested in like tabletop RPGs. I've always wanted to do like D and D campaigns and stuff like that. So like I'm looking at like the the, the the technical aspects, and it's something that I know that I need to take. Some some time to go through and really figure out how the stuff works before I invest myself in. But the lore... And also something else worth mentioning is mm -hmm. that, like, I can always improve the public-facing documentation to be more clear and concise. Tag was right. very helpful with me editing. I have this, this very meandering writing style. <laughs> understandable understandable but, I was gonna, but the lore as you were saying i was gonna uh, say apologies for you're yeah. perfectly fine i was gonna say like the lore that's the main reason why i want to be invested in this game more than anything else just seeing all the different aspects just how unique of a world you've more or less like really developed and how uh, how diverse it could be because i can already just see just based on the different classes that you're executing the different scenarios that can be played out and whatnot there are so many different opportunities for like replayability more than anything else when it comes to uh, comes to urchin's fall yeah um i can say mechanically one of one of the main influences was uh like the job system from final fantasy 5 and okay. bravely default and octopath traveler where if you're not familiar with it uh, the job or, you know, archetypical combat class that your character would equip of, you know, warrior, healer, paladin, mage, whatever, would be a thing that you can equip and unequip uh, freely. And a lot of the fun gameplay came from mixing and matching it and finding powerful combinations of that. And I have always adored systems like that. Mm. So I wanted character creation to kind of have a similar level of modularity of this feeling of mixing and matching a character's race and class and element. Because the way that I, I kind of differentiated the elements was I wanted each one to have their own play style, kind of like um, like Magic the Gathering or the Digimon card games where, okay. you know, blue is does this and green cards, you know, spawn lots more cards or, you know, black cards are like, oh, you... Uh, dispose this card and do a powerful attack or something like that. They all kind of have this this archetype. And there's a lot of flexibility within that archetype. But when someone plays these games, they say, I'm running a, a yellow-purple deck in Digimon. You're like, okay, I understand that play style. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted that to be similar, that you can very modularly say, I am playing a raid postmark, or I'm playing a dark fire conduit. 
or something like that and people go i see i mean i was to say that i know that's especially you know useful especially with the the eight elements or, or eight elementals that you've introduced or whatnot having that little diagram that you have very helpful by the way um seeing how that's set up and how they more or less like interlock with each other whatnot how they're supposed to interact or whatnot that that certainly is something that especially now that you says your point when it comes to like the the magic the gathering decks or whatnot that definitely adds a nice good little layer to how vastly different each playthrough can be with urchins fall something something that i would like to do in the future is i would like to add spells that pull for multiple elements okay um and kind of would give players a little something extra like maybe one to three spells for each two element combo that would kind of blend together the kits and allow players who are doing specific two-element combos to find unique ways to play with that. I mean, understand. It'll probably be disgustingly overpowered, and I'll probably have to rebalance it a million times. But I am more focused on giving players fun tools to use than I am concerned with the metagame. Especially because it is nigh impossible to gather analytics as a solo dev working on a tabletop game that I've published like this. Especially with um, one that, again, you like you said, we, you've been working on this for like 10 weeks. It's not like there was a lot of like oh, yeah. play testing and, you know, going through many different outlets, seeing what works and works. We're finding that, that mm-hmm. like you're, we're technically in the public play testing period right now. So anything, much, that, yeah. <laughs> anything that needs to be changed, you can change later on. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the fun thing about games is, can just change it yep yep although i do i, I love how you were pointing out that like oh th- these pa- these spells could be like super overpowered if i you know incorporate like that literally one of the notes like the only note that i saw that you have highlighted in there was for one of the class the the shaitio or the the elementals from the moon who literally just get two times spell casting it's like they're, they're too important to the setting to not be playable right but if I wanted to capture the Shiotic experience, I need to have a disclaimer there and go, this is not going to be fair and balanced. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so as long as you have disclaimers like that throughout, like, just just about every single aspect of it, like, this could potentially be overpowered. Um, use that at your own risk or just ruin everything. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the less disclaimers, the better. That is I don't true. Want, that I is don't true. want something to be disgustingly, disgustingly overpowered solely because players have a tendency to gravitate towards the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. When they find a dominant strategy, they will often stick to it. Uh, and, you know, maybe they'll they'll do that for the entirety of a game. This one strategy works, and then all of a sudden a situation comes along where that strategy doesn't work, and they get frustrated, and maybe they quit. And that's not something that I want players to experience. So I don't want anything to be, like, overpowered, but I'm... I'm just not worried about, oh, no, dark is stronger than rot uh, because of this formula that I ran. And I'll go, well, thank you for telling me, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, I'll see what changes I can make. But I that that is not the number one concern. It's more of an ongoing permanent background thing. Okay. Okay. You know, I was going to say, I love how you talk about like, you know, 
more or less how people do like meta gaming or whatnot. Like they'll find like the overpowered strategy and then stick with oh, it, and then yeah. something change. You know, I can't think of any like real examples with that with such popular games like Fortnite, Call of Duty. Uh, da, 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 da. You know, so so yeah, far, there's never been a meta gamer ever. Mm-hmm. This never is a, ever. This is a wholly unique concept that like no one has ever even considered about. How dare you even bring up in the first place, Rocco? Your game is perfect, and there's no changes that need to be made. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I, there really are people who believe that stuff about certain games. And yeah. I'm like, oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Those are the, the the people that say that are the people that are abusing the meta <laughs> more than anything else. They're using it to their advantage. That's why they're like, no, it's, there's no meta to that. Excuse me while I have my yeah. double pop shotgun. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that metagaming is innately a bad thing. I think right. that it's important for people to analyze the, the strengths and weaknesses of something. I mean, like, let's use chess as an example. Chess evolved from um like a game that had existed in a completely different friggin region of the world mm. hundreds of years prior and changed ever so gradually over the years i don't remember the exact name and location where it's from so i'm i'm not going to get into all of that but right, like right, right. the reason that chess is so fine tuned is because it had that amount of time and of meta gamers who are saying you know oh this is overpowered or playing it this way instead or something like that right right understandable now going back to your game it doesn't have that amount of time going into it just yet just get, give it out not a just couple, yet no. get, give it what, a good couple hundred years and that'll be like the most refined game out there next to chess so there you go but thinking to like some of the stuff that you developed or whatnot i i have to know because like obviously you put a lot of love and care into the setting and to the characters or whatnot but I, I can't help but think you have to have at least like a favorite aspect of it, whether it be a system that you implemented or maybe there's a specific character type that you just like relate to and you like cling on to, like this is my little baby. Like what are some of your favorite yeah. aspects of Urchin's Fall? Oh. Hmm. I think the locations, I think. Yes. Um the just the giant eye poking <laughs> out of the planet with eyelids that close like the aperture of a camera and will just cut you in half if you're standing on it or you know this moon that has been hollowed out and turned into a military base firing cannons or um you know this city that is run by an ancient robot who's just like no 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 do it like this to the governors <laughs> you know and has this library. Um, it's the fantasy of it. Yeah. It's always been the fantasy of it. I mean, I can certainly see why. I mean, especially like like you were saying, like even thinking back to the, the eye of East Imanis, like more than anything else, that was just one that like I saw that detail. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. That's okay. <laughs> that. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> and in the future, I want to write much more about what is going on on the surface of East Imanis and in its cities because Shyotic civilization is pretty messed up. Yeah, I can fully believe that. But I mean, even thinking back to, you know, the time that you've invested into creating this game or whatnot and the, the, uh, once again, the, the lore that you've invested so much into or whatnot, like I have to know, like, Stepping back, thinking of the final product that's out there right now, and obviously the changes you can be made to it, like, again, does it amaze you more or less that you're able to, to produce something as quality as this? 
No, I don't think I'm amazed. I think I'm just really proud of myself for creating a plan and sticking to it. There you go. Uh, one of my biggest weaknesses as a designer has been taking on projects that are way out of scope for myself or putting too much effort into details that ultimately never would have mattered that end up kind of kneecapping when the game would have released. Um, so the, the goal for Urchin's Fall was always like early January release, and it the initial release was what, January 13th? Yeah. So like, if anything, I'm amazed that things went according to plan. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not amazed that, wow, look what I made, because I know what I'm capable of. Right. I mean, for God's sake, I've had this thing bouncing around in my head. True, true. Uh, I mean, I had lots of things I had to make up on the fly about the lore and about making this world work within a tabletop game. Like, I, 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 when I went in and made the announcement, hey, I'm making a tabletop game, that's all I had was yeah. I'm going to make a tabletop game and I have a setting in my head. So I'm, I'm amazed that it came out remotely recognizable <laughs> And in a remotely reasonable amount of time. <laughs> I, I still Above remember that. Everything, yeah. I, I still remember whenever you just randomly just made the announcement. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. And then, like, whenever you just dropped it, like, more or less out of nowhere, because I, did, I didn't realize that you were just had that, like, game plan to release in, like, essentially 10 weeks or whatnot. So when I saw it was released, like, oh, shit, fuck. Why didn't they, why didn't they tell me sooner? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when did you expect it to release? Like, much later in 2023? Like, I, I, yeah, something like that. Like, I didn't know how much more you had to invest into it, and, like, especially with the, the, I, again, I'm someone that's on the outside when it comes to just game development, <laughs> whether it be video games or, like, tabletop games or whatnot. Yeah. Like, so I didn't know exactly how much you were going to invest into it and how much you needed to invest into it. I always thought yeah. it would take a little bit longer, but, like, the 10 weeks that you're able to accomplish and put out, once again, such a quality project, like, I'm proud yeah. for you, Rocco, for what you're able Thank to do. You. I, I can kind of tell you why I wanted to get it out so fast is mm. uh, within game development, we have this term of the MVP or minimum viable product of okay. what are the absolute minimum things that your game needs to have in order for you to hand it to a player, walk away and let them enjoy it. Okay. Uh, and we can also refer to that as a vertical slice of if our game was a cake, it is just a vertical little slice of that cake world one dash one in mario mm -hmm. and that's it would be a vertical slice and that is what i wanted to release i wanted mechanics i wanted enough lore for people to get started i wanted some races some classes some spells bada bing bada boom minimum viable product and the refinement and beautification and um reevaluation of this world is a thing that will probably gradually happen and eventually you know, the game will get, like, a super-duper crazy release much later, but... Eh. I mean... I, I, I wanted to get the MVP out there and available to the public because playtesting a game that requires multiple people and can take hours to run sessions uh, is not feasible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also, I just... I wanted a portfolio piece out there so I could use it in my job hunt. Right. Right. And say, like, look what I made. Yep. I'm, I'm still out here making stuff. I mean, Hire me. I mean, you, certainly, like, what I've been gushing about this entire podcast, look at what you have made. Like I said, you've made a true quality tabletop RPG that even if it's only, like, in the bare, like, you know, 
night like somewhat alpha stage or whatnot when it comes to like playtesting or whatnot i still think like the amount of time and effort that you put into it is really showcased with just about every single aspect of it so i have to know like considering all that you put into it and all that you hopefully have planned for it what do you hope to see with urchins fall what do you hope to accomplish with it god um i would like a job that's a good uh, start yeah that's a good start <laughs> <laughs> Um, but beyond that, I mean, I would love to try and build an Urchins Fall community, not okay. just like a like a Rocco community, because the Rocco community is its own thing. And I use like me and my VTubing platform to try and get eyes on the game that I have made, because I would be an idiot not to. Right. Um, but what, what I would love to see is I just want to see like people playing it and having a good time and experiencing the world and telling stories within it and making characters and just any of that like to to just see my game bring people joy and enjoyment it's all i can ask for you know that's a good thing to to hope for i mean i know i said before if i was to play it like i have my the class in mind that i want to do or whatnot so i'm calling oh, it yeah. so i'm calling out former guests of the podcast if you're listening to this look i i want to do this i want to have like a campaign like this guys for some of us, we're in that Discord server together. Let's get a group together. Let's get this thing going. Let's do something. Let's make let, – let's have some fun with this because, like, again, I'm not a person that plays tabletop RPGs, but I really want to, like, sink my teeth really into this. This looks like just fun on all different fronts. Oh, yeah. That was uh, – one of the one of the main things that was kind of baked into the mechanics also was this game is almost kind of like the anti-D&D of – there's, like, a couple things – that I've experienced while playing D&D as someone with, like, crazy ADHD who can't sit still mm -hmm. that I dislike of the waiting my turn for, like, a million years while my party members are, like, deciding on their attacks is, like, why group casting is a thing and why players can pool their resources together and shuffle their turn order is because I, I want this to be a cooperative experience, not just a, a, a fantastical one. Right. Right. I mean, even then, like, you know, like thinking to like how some of the D&D sessions or whatnot, like knowing how off the rails those can go and knowing what you're doing differently yeah. with that. Oh, man, that's just going to be pure chaos that I really want to see when it comes to Urch's Fall. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to run campaigns for people on stream. I think that's going to be so fun. I mean... I you want to, in on it? I want. want I want. I want in on. Did, I, did you not hear me call out the the guest of the I podcast know. last time? <laughs> I checked. Last time I checked, you're a guest of the podcast now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's so, make it happen. Let's make it happen. Uh, make it happen. But you know, thinking back to not just with Urchins Fall, but like just your journey as a whole, like thinking everything that you've been able to accomplish, whether it be VTubing, video games, Urchins Fall, or whatnot, like. I'm not going to say amaze once again, but like thinking back to just your art journey as a whole, like how accomplished do you feel with what you've been able to do so far? I am never satisfied oh. with what I've accomplished. I am always hungry for more. Whenever I release a game and it gets feedback, you know, in my head, I'm thinking about all the things that didn't make the cut or that I wish I had added mm -hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. I am never satisfied, and I am always hungry. It is both a blessing and a curse. Fair. But I, I am not content to simply sit on my hands. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done, 
but I am not satisfied. Understandable. Well, maybe, maybe with this next question, maybe I can give you a little bit more satisfaction, if I may. And, okay, okay. And give you more or less the dream scenario. Okay. Let's let's say I am big shot, Mister Moneybags. That that Muppet that was sitting on the couch earlier or whatnot. Yeah, that that Absolutely. was that that was Mister Moneybags. I could yeah, do like hold, look. Hold on, let me let me <laughs> zoom out. Audio and, listeners uh, love you to death. <laughs> yeah, we got Mister Moneybags on the couch. Ah, wonderful! Just big just, bags of money. Well, th- yes, absolutely. In fact, let me let me just you know ha- you know as you know, I am big shot, Mister Moneybags. I absolutely. I am here to let you know that Rocco, I know you can do some absolutely incredible stuff. We've seen what you've been able to accomplish so far, and while you know, I I, I feel like you could do more. And I'm sure you could probably agree with that. I feel you feel like you could probably do more as well. Oh you yeah. Just, you just need a little bit more of a a push, a platform, more or less, if I may. Mm-hmm. We have access to anyone and everyone in whatever industry possible and more money than it should be possible we could probably be helping so many people especially in the gay development get like you know benefits and stuff like that especially when they're employed right now mm-hmm. but we'll focus on that later right now we are focusing on you and you alone so Rocco if given this opportunity what would be the dream Rocco Farin project Urchins Fall JRPG okay okay the whole, the whole story the, the tale of this war and of the people who work to end it and of you know, the secrets of the plate and of the old worlders whose business is yet unfinished, how they wish to shepherd humanity to safety, that there are billions of lives that they left behind to protect billions more, and that they can't rest until they know we're safe. And of that story, that is that is the dream. And, you know, today we're just taking steps to make that a reality. Well, Rather than sitting on my hands and waiting a couple decades until, air quotes, the time is right. But uh, that is that is totally the dream game. Good. It should be the dream game, especially seeing how much we're able to invest in the 10 weeks for the tabletop RVG version of this game. I, I have to also ask, just like obviously as a game developer, you know, you've taken a lot of inspiration from, I imagine, other game studios for something like this. Is there like a dr- game studio that you would love to collaborate with in order to make this game a reality? Oh God! Oh no! I don't know. Oh Lord! Um, I don't know because, uh, in this dream project, it's me at the helm. Right? No, it's you at the helm. But I mean, obviously, you know, only one person yeah. can do so much, especially when I, it comes to a full fledged game like that. I care more about the people I'm working with than the studio. Okay. You know, there there's lots of studios who have games that I grew up playing, like Nintendo or Square Enix mm-hmm. or Atlas or Capcom or whatever, right? And I would love to work at a studio that I grew up playing those games. That's the dream. But as long as I'm with people that I can trust with this vision, I'm happy. Right. Okay. You know, fair, understandable. I didn't know if it was like one of those. Well, I know, <laughs> I know, it worked for yeah. Final Fantasy, you know, fourteen online. Let me just get those guys. And we yeah, can really find well, this thing together. <laughs> yeah. What is the dream studio? I don't know. Unionized. <laughs> that you know what? Valid yeah. point. Very valid point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> Man, if only that was so relevant these days, huh? Anyways, um, yeah, God, that would that would be something, huh? That would be just uh, that's a pipe dream more than anything else. Goodness, um, <laughs> but sadly, we gotta get down from the dream scenario. We gotta get back to reality, which is ironic. Oh. So, in fact, we were just talking about unionization and the. Anyways, um, <laughs> but 
we have to get back to reality, and I'll have to ask the ever-so-generic question. Yeah. Where do you hope to see yourself, say, five to ten years from now? Uh, I'd like to be living somewhere far away from where I am right now. Understandable. I've kind of lived in the same area for my whole life. Pretty much, I've, I've been along the North American East Coast mm-hmm. almost exclusively, uh, just kind of going up and down between home and the schools that I've gone to. I want to travel. I want to broaden my horizons. I want to live somewhere far away and immerse myself in different cultures. And I would certainly love to be continuing to live stream and work on games while doing it. That's... Hopefully still is Rocco. <laughs> you oh, know, no. I, I, I know that there's all sorts of like contracts that you might have to sign when you get hired where it's like, oh, you can't, you know, work on Urchin's Fall because that's considered a conflicting project or mm. some nonsense like that. Like at one of my previous jobs, I would not be able to work on personal projects. Okay. Just due to the contract. I mean, I was paid well. Right. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have signed the contract. Yeah. <laughs> um, but five years from now, that's that's the goal. Five years from now, I'd be 29. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Disgusting. I don't... Ah, I was going to say, Rocco, like, don't... Like don't, I said, don't, I don't want to grow up. I was say, don't, is why. don't remind me. I'm going to be 27 this year, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> goodness. I'm, I, I'm getting real sick of this aging bullshit. I know, right? Who, who, <laughs> who decided that they can look at adults and be like, you have to get old? Like, can, can we not yeah. just, like, enjoy what I'm we all, get? I'm already old. Stop making me older. There's only so old you can make me. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the plan is I'm just going to keep working on video games until I can't. Okay. Cool. Until I have to retire for my own health and it's no longer feasible physically or mentally. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Whenever you said, hopefully as Rocco, I'm just thinking to myself, oh no, is Rocco graduation coming at some point? <laughs> oh no. I always like get into like, like, you know, those like self-destructive thoughts Mm-hmm. that everyone has is sometimes when i'm feeling frustrated i'm like i should just graduate i should just tear it all down i gotta quit i gotta yep. Yep. yeah just don't trust how you feel after 9 p.m is the moral <laughs> of the story i say rocker i cannot tell you the amount of times i've thought you know if i just stopped doing the podcast no one's gonna care but no i know people care yeah. i know people care <laughs> it's like you Absolutely. said it's, it, it's that like midnight thinking more or less that's the most dangerous thoughts to come out <laughs> at any time <laughs> but yeah but as we start to wind down the interview, Rocco, I just have one last question I want to ask. Obviously, you've been deeply entrenched in art and video games for as long as you can remember, ever since you were little, more or less. Mm-hmm. How important is art, not just for you, but for the world as a whole? I think it's critical. I think it's absolutely a, a critical part of the human experience. That, like, what what separated humanity from, you know, a lot of the rest of the world, at least, like you know, within our, within our own minds, we're still very much part of the ecosystem is the building of civilization and of uplifting those who can't uplift themselves and of creating a fair and equitable world. And art allows us to tell these stories of what ifs and of people who do good and of who do evil and allow us to explore these, these fantastical concepts that allow us to apply them to our daily lives. I I believe that storytelling 
and art and playing and gaming and having fun because all of this falls under art yeah. is a critical 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 part of the human experience and you might actually kind of see that in urchins fall in you know i i try not to to explicitly state so in the text but the age of eld is right here right now eld is earth the old worlders are earthlings they are from earth earth and the the treasures that your characters are finding when they dig through these ruins are the relics of an old age the stories of a past that tell them of of what it once was that you can fight your way through an insanely difficult dungeon and what you find is a hard drive with a copy of Kirby's Adventure on it. <laughs> that, you know, that has been lost for thousands of years. There's right. there's cultural significance there of the stories of people and of their lives. I think it's it's critical to who we are, and it is a thing that I've baked into the setting and into, you know, humanity, you know, humans with a Y, of, of what they value, of... It's our story. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is wonderfully worded, if I do say so myself, Rocco. Thank you. That's all the questions I have for you today. Um, I've already showered you with a whole bunch of praise, Rocco, but I'm going to show you with a little bit more because it's my podcast. I do what I want. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you. Look, Rocco, ever since I was first introduced to you, thanks to thanks to Sam. Shout out, you know, shout out Grandpa. Yeah, ever since I was shout first. Shout out Grandpa, mm-hmm. VT, RT Grandpa. He was... Mm. He was the guy who pretty much helped me find the wider VTuber community. Because okay. pretty much until then, until I met him, I was in my own little, tiny little bubble and didn't really get to know it like anyone else. Honestly, like literally the same thing. As well as like that, thanks to my interview with Grandpa, you know, it, it really introduced me to like VTubers and what were out there and whatnot. And you being one of the people that I instantly saw, like I instantly gravitated towards just with your, like the way you, the, the confidence that you more or less exude whenever you're streaming or whatnot, the way you portray yourself, the, the fun that you like to have with every single stream. Like it was, it, it was very easy to cling on to that. And I, I appreciate that really getting to invest myself into your community or whatnot, you know, meeting some of the incredible people that, you know, you and I both consider like very deep friends at this point, like close friends at this point. Like I cannot thank you enough for allowing me to be the part of that in the first place, seeing how far you've been able to come along, seeing how much you've invested yourself in this stuff and seeing, how much work and effort you put into everything, whether it be your streaming, whether it be, you know, trying to get a job with video games or whether it be Urchins Fall, it's admirable. It's amazing. And I appreciate both what you've done and the stories you've been able to tell today about you really being invested in this stuff. I don't know if you realize this, Rocco, but especially within like the VTuber community, you are one of the most influential people. I've had several people tell me before that you were one of the reasons why they really got invested in the VTubing or you've been one of the people to really help them along when it comes to VTubing. Like you're a really major part of this community and we are all honored and blessed to even know you, let alone be considered your friend in the first place. So long and short of it, Rocco, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for being so welcome and open and thank you for all the hard work you've put in this stuff. You deserve everything because I think you've done incredible stuff and i know you got a lot more to come so keep doing the incredible work man oh my god <laughs> thank you i want to I get a little emotional about that <laughs> um i i'm just gonna say thank you for all of those kind words and more 
I am so grateful to have you as a friend. Uh, there are billions of stories being told on this planet, and I think we are both incredibly fortunate that our stories are intertwined. I cannot agree with that more, man. <laughs> I'm, I didn't expect to go so emotional myself, but I'm about, I'm about to yeah, cry. I feel that shit <laughs> <laughs> Quick, quick, insert a piss joke or something. Make, break the tension or something. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my goodness. There's, like, a guy, and, uh, oop, the... the piss button doesn't work ah oh, jesus all right well maybe yeah I'll i need them. to update that i don't know i'll put on some <laughs> uh, uh we got the backup dancers. they got backup dancers there you go <laughs> so, <laughs> dancing lobsters or something dancing dillos let's go uh oh yeah uh so if people want to see just the the person and the personality and the random dancing dillos that i'm ever so gushing about go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home absolutely uh, Y'all can follow me at twitch.tv slash Rocco Farend. That's R-O-C-C-O-F-A-R-E-N-D. Far End. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a parody of Rocky Friend. It's mm. actually where my name comes from. I was just about uh, to ask you that. <laughs> also, you can also find Urchins Fall on itch.io, available for free. For free. That's right. Art is for everyone, baby. Mm -hmm. And I'm just happy to make my game smile. But if it makes you smile a whole lot, maybe consider tossing me a tip or two. You never know. Mm -hmm. Could help a little guy out. Uh, what else do I have to plug? Uh, that's it. I stream and make video games. <laughs> I would say there's also, you know, Twitter, YouTube, or what I, I, any of the links you may have missed. Oh, yeah. I, I have the YouTube VOD archive <laughs> and the highlights and the TikToks and the Tumblr and the Twitter. Yeah. But, like, I, I see those as advertising platforms rather than a creative pursuit. Right, right, absolutely. If and and I, think, I, I think that that mentality might hold me back from properly growing on those platforms as much as I could potentially. But the medium that I have devoted my life towards cannot be reduced to 280 characters. Yep. There you go. That's a good way to word it. If nothing else, yeah, I mean, obviously those main links that Rocco said, definitely go to those first. But I'll be sure to have the other links in the description. I got you covered for that one. So if people are curious. <laughs> you... Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Do you have any final words before we sign off? Uh, thank you, Post. Slash Nathan, I know. I'm so used to calling you Post. No. We always call you Post in the V2 movie because everyone's so used to using not their real names. Look, if if I had any issues with people calling me Post, I would have stopped that like right at the beginning when Sam oh, was yeah. the first one calling me Post. The only reason why everyone calls me Post is because Sam started calling me that because he couldn't remember my name. <laughs> Love you, Sam. Love you, Sam. There's nothing against you. I appreciate it, and I I've I have taken it wholeheartedly and. Like, I I wear the name Post with pride, okay? <laughs> Hell yeah. It's a good name. It's good. It's, it's simple. Point it yeah. to the point. People remember it. But um, As for the rest of my final words, an additional thank you, not just to you, uh, but to all of the lovely people who have watched this far. I hope you had a wonderful time listening to us chitter and chatter. There you go. And uh, I hope you all have a fantastic morning, noon, or night. Absolutely. Take care. And with that, all I have left to say is for the people at home, hasta luego, mi amigos. Peace out. Oh, yeah, wait, that's how I end everything is uh, uh, keep your eyes to the ground and we'll meet again. Peace out. <laughs>
Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If this is your first time listening, I sincerely do appreciate you sticking up to this point. Uh, I, though I do imagine, especially with this episode, I probably got a lot of return listeners for this one, which I've said it a million times before and I will say it again. Thank you guys for the continued love and support for the podcast. I know an episode like this with Rocco was one I have been wanting to do for a while. Um, <laughs> knowing... Just all that Rocco does and the importance that they have in the community. I, I knew I needed to have them on. So, uh, Rocco, if you're listening up to this point, um, no, in all seriousness, thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you for welcoming me into your community and letting me be a part of it and get to meet some incredible people in there. Uh, you know, meeting people like Rocco is one of the biggest benefits that I've had since I've gone on this podcast journey. Like, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I, it was hard for me really to, to make friends at throughout certain points in my life. You know, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, it, people have their, their ways of stuff, but really getting to go all in with the communities that I get to more or less meet through the guests that I've had on the podcast or whatnot, it it's truly a blessing to say that I am friends with the people that I consider friends. You know, if it wasn't for introducing myself to Sam, literally most of my friend group would not be possible. Uh, Sam, if you're listening to this point, uh, thank you. Thank you for letting me be part of your community, and thank you for introducing me to people that would eventually be some of the ones I would consider my best friends, straight up. You know, you got, you know, Rocco, Tag, Sasha, Spiral, Patch, Moose. Uh, that's just in the VTuber community alone. Um, having a lot of those people, uh, really becoming friends with them, getting to know them, share some fun moments with them. It, it's it's an honor and a blessing. Something I don't take for granted. You know. The community I've been able to to be a part of ever since I've gone on this podcast venture. The community I've kind of culminated, the the loose connections with people or whatnot. It, it's it's really awesome. It's that's that's so long and short of it. it. Is really awesome knowing the people that I get to know, and I I don't know what to I don't know what to say. Then just thank you, thank you guys for making me feel welcome. Thank you for letting this little independent nobody from you know, nowhere Georgia 
thank you for letting him into your guys' lives and letting them get to, get to have some fun. Because I've truly had fun with you guys, especially with this podcast. And I mean, hey, if nothing else, there's always more fun to come. If nothing else, for all the VTuber people out there, I just want to say, I'm just going to say this. If you have the opportunity and are wanting to have me on your streams or whatnot, please ask. I want to be on more streams. I want to be on more live streams and have fun with that. Um, I recently did one with uh, with Sasha to where we did uh, Return to Castle Wolfenstein. That was fun. That was a fun stream. You know, simple, laid back, you know, silly moments, good conversation. Like, I enjoy streams like that. You know, seeing people, you know, having that fun little conversation. It's just like a, a longer, drawn-out podcast, and that's that's the, that's the shit I enjoy. Oh, and also, hey, shout-out to Sam, Elder's Grandpa. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, their birthday is this weekend. You go wish him a happy birthday, and then you go to his streams throughout the weekend, show love and support, and celebrate a fun birthday with him. Because he deserves it. More than anything else. Show love and support for the people in this community. Show love and the pe- support for people in any art community whatsoever. Because they're all doing incredible stuff. Show that love today. <laughs>